I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Randy C. Oh God, this is weird. Uh, I'm Randy, a compulsive overeater. To get the numbers out of the way, um, I waddled, and yes, I did waddle, into my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting, March 4th of 1976. I was 23 years old, and at the time, I don't know how much I weighed. I would really, I'd love to send around fat pictures of me. The truth of the matter is, I don't have them. Because when anybody tried to put a camera in my direction, I was running. Um, you know, there are shots of me probably from the neck up or hiding behind somebody. But um, I don't have any fat pictures. And in a way, that's sad because it's a large part of my life that's gone. Um, but when I walked into my first OA meeting, I knew that I was fat. Yeah, I was. But I walked in here because I could not stop eating. I remember when I was about 12 years old in seventh grade, I had to do a, a report for my health class on alcoholism and drug abuse. And at 12 years old, I remember like it was yesterday, saying to my mother, I'm just like an alcoholic with food. And she said, oh, no, all you need to do is lose a little weight. If only you had a willpower, you know, all that kind of stuff that everybody's heard uh, probably a million times in their life. Um, but I knew that there was something very broken and wrong with me. Um, you know, food ruled my life. Um, I would eat out of garbage cans. I'd eat off the floor. Um, anything to get that food that I thought was going to fix the problem. And, you know, it never did. Um, just like an alcoholic, I, was, I would consume mass quantities waiting for that feeling of floating to come over me. And it did for about you know, 10 seconds, and then the, the food stopped word, working, but I couldn't stop. I could not stop eating. And I walked into my first OA meeting, and um, I heard that I had a disease. And then all of a sudden, it's like the world made sense to me. Um, I wasn't weak-willed. I wasn't this horrible person. I had a disease. And the other thing that I heard was, you're not alone anymore. And I had lived in probably, I lived in isolation, probably most of it self-imposed, um, for all of my life. And just, I wanted to belong so badly, belong to something all my life. I remember from the time I was in kindergarten, feeling like the outsider. And then all of a sudden I walked into OA and I knew I belonged. And the third thing that I heard was I only had to do it today. And that was just my first meeting. So that started the road for me, you know, sometimes wonderful, sometimes rocky. Um, and about 
three or four weeks ago, I celebrated 30 years of continuous abstinence. I've been maintaining right now around a 60-pound weight loss. Um, my weight for the longest time hasn't fluctuated more than a couple of pounds. Although I will say that when I was pregnant, you know, obviously I weighed more. But one of the miracles of this program was that I could go through two pregnancies with normal weight gain, have my kids, and lose the weight afterwards. And I, that's something I never could have done. So, um, you know, my background is probably the same as everybody else's. I grew up in a very middle-class Jewish um, household back on the East Coast. Um, yeah, I could get out the violins and, set and, and the drama queen stuff, you know, about how, you know, what they did to me. The truth of the matter is my upbringing was relatively normal. Um, the disease was in my head, and I knew that coming in. I walked into my first OA meeting depressed, hopeless. I'd been through all the diets. Um, I was on pills at 15. And what's really odd is when I look at it, up until the time I was 17, I was never more than about 20 pounds overweight. But the disease was in my head. And I knew it was in my head. And what happened was my freshman year, I went away to college and all, I was away from the control freak family. And I put on 40 pounds between September and Thanksgiving. So, you know, I had this disease in spades. Um, when, but I really want to talk about the recovery um, because I honestly feel that the changes that have occurred are are just amazing to me. Um, I am not the same person that walked into my first OA meeting. And I'm going to tell you the path of how I got to where I am today. At my first meeting, uh, luckily I was under a delusion that the person standing up leading the meeting was some kind of privileged character. And in my broken state, of course, I wanted to be associated with the privileged characters. So I asked the person leading the meeting to sponsor me. Uh, mind you, I had no clue of what a sponsor was, but all I knew is that I didn't want what I had anymore. Um, I didn't quite know what OA had to offer, but I had been through the mill at age 23, um, and I said, okay, you know, this is the last house in the block. So I asked the leader to sponsor me, and she said, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to write down your food. You're going to call it in to me every day, and you're going to write for 20 minutes. And I'm going, you know, okay, I, I was just surrendered and desperate enough that I was willing to do anything that anyone had said. So... I said, well, okay, you know, what kind of diet should I be on? And at the time, OA had two food plans. One was on an orange sheet of paper, and one was on a gray sheet of paper. And I looked at the gray sheet of paper, and I said, there's no way I'm going to do this. <laughs> so 
I chose the orange one. And you know something? My abstinence today is actually pretty close to that same orange sheet of paper. It's gone through fluctuations um, throughout the years, but it's really pretty similar. Um, and so my first year of abstinence, really all I could do was follow the food plan, call my, um, call my sponsor every day, write my food down, commit it to her, and, and write. I couldn't even get it and go to meetings. Now, I started a program in Cleveland, Ohio, and there was only one meeting a week. So, I in a way, I'm very grateful to that because I learned to use other tools. Um, you know, believe it, coming out to L.A. was like, oh, my God, I'm the kid in the candy store with all these meetings. But I had, there were four or five people in my Cleveland group with long-term abstinence, and at the time long-term was like three or four years. And I talked to every single one of them every single day. And that was, that was how I stayed abstinent. Um, so the weight came off, and fast forward about a year. And during this year, that was all I could do, was go to, meet, go to one meeting a week, and actually during that time we started a second meeting. Um, and um, go to meetings, abstain, call my sponsor. Um, I couldn't get into the books. I couldn't get into the inventory just because I wasn't ready. There was just, I needed, for me, you know, people say, what comes first, the steps or the abstinence? As I've read the big book over and over and over again, and this is just my opinion, by the way, it says that we had to get abstinent first um, before we can work the steps, before we can deal with the other stuff that's going on. And I found that to be so true for me um, because I had to clear my brain of the compulsive overeating first before I could work on the steps. So they have a saying, which is so true, if you want to find out why you compulsively overeat, stop eating. And I know that was very true in my case. Um, after about 13 months of abstinence, I was 24, almost 25 years old. I was skinny. I was cute. And I was crazy as anything because all of it. <laughs> Shut up, Gary. Gary knows me from when I first moved out to California. Um, <laughs> And I was nuts because all of a sudden, all of the reasons that I ate came to the forefront. I learned that I never thought I was angry. Oh, my. I never thought I was angry. I knew that my base emotion was fear. I knew I was fearful coming in. I was afraid to look you in the eye. I was afraid to share with you who I was if I thought you disagreed with me. Um, 
I didn't have my own voice. I talked with everybody else's voice around me, but I didn't have one of my own. I didn't know what my voice was. And so much of this program is not only the cessation of the compulsive overeating, but it was but it's finding my voice, finding out who I really am, what I'm really what I'm good at, um, what my purpose in life is or what my purpose in life is and what my higher power wants for me. Um, I never knew I was angry, but boy, I found out I was angry. Um, there were times that I would have absolute rage at nothing. Um, but I knew, the one thing that I knew more than anything else in the world is that going back to compulsive overeating would not fix it. So I had no choice, really, except to work through what was going on. So after a year of abstinence, um, what happened was, and my life was always blaming everybody else and not accepting responsibility, by the way. So after about a year of abstinence, it was like my lot in life was all my husband's fault. And um, what happened was, we were going to move out of Cleveland anyway. So in October of 77, we took a scouting trip out to L.A. He was trying to, he had done a lot of sound work in Cleveland and was going to make his fame and fortune in L.A. Well, we went out on vacation and I was the one who found the job. Um, so we thought that, um, we thought that, you know, gee, since I had been laid off of my job in Cleveland anyway. And actually, to backtrack a little bit, um, through this program, I decided to change careers and um, go into the field that I'm still in today. Um, so because of that, I had gotten laid off of my job in Cleveland. And... Um, I found a job in my new field here, and, you know, my husband thought it would be a really good idea if I lived in L.A. and, well, he packed up stuff, and um, uh, he packed up stuff, and then we moved, he moved out at some point later. Um, in retrospect, that was not a real good idea, but what can I say? Um, hence my wild period. Um, and I learned that through this program that I'm a rebellious bitch. Um, I, and I did a lot of stuff that I wasn't especially proud of. Um, but I stayed abstinent. You know what? I stayed abstinent. Um, so I, went, I was like this far from divorcing my husband. And, and I thought that was going to solve all my problems. Well, you know what? I brought me with me. And I learned that I, through the help of my sponsor and um, outside help at that point that I had to, if I, if I wanted to continue to abstain, because my bottom line is that abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. It was drummed into me by those farm wives in Cleveland. Um, <laughs> And I believe it to this day. 
that abstinence is the most important thing to me. And anything that threatens my abstinence, I've got to deal with. Um, so, I moved out here. Um, I was like the kid in the candy store because there were so many meetings in Los Angeles. I thought L.A. was the Mecca. And those of you who remember, I thought that Crescent Heights was like made of gold and the seats had di- were diamond encrusted. And those of you that, walk, that know the, the old place of Crescent Heights, I walk into the meeting place for the first time and it is a dump. <laughs> I mean, it's got these cement floors that were painted over 18 million times. And I learned that, you know, the recovery is not in the physical appearance. The recovery is in the people. And I met some, I met some incredible people who I still see to this very day. Um, some people who are no longer with us because they've either passed on or they've gone out eating. And that's really sad that they didn't stick around for the, for the miracle to happen. Um, so my husband and I got back to, we got back together and I, I learned a lesson of life isn't perfect, duh. Um, I always joke that my life was, uh, I just want to see what time it is, okay. Um, my life was Randy's never ending and always frustrated quest for perfection. I thought that I had to be perfect. Now, mind you, you know, who knows what the heck perfect means, but I wanted to be, whatever it was, I wanted to be perfect. I still, making a mistake is something that's really hard for me to deal with, even after all these years. Um, I've learned to become a little more comfortable for myself, but I'll tell you, the ism will always be with me. And that's why I need the steps and my higher power. Um, And I will talk quite a bit about my higher power. Um, So Eric and I got back together because I realized that deep down inside, okay, he's not perfect. But I tend to look at things very negatively. And instead of looking at the things that were good about him, I just focused on the stuff that was bad about him. And it's kind of interesting. Once I focused on the positive stuff, gee, it's amazing how our relationship improved. Um, (laughs) What can I say? And we've been married for 32 years. Um, He's not perfect Sometimes I want to frickin' strangle him. But, you know, he's at, I look at the, he's very kind-hearted. And he's a, he's a great parent with my kids, with our kids. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely worth, worth having around. Um, you know, so... I've gone through a lot of ups and downs in this program, and that's one thing OA has taught me, is that life is life. 
And sometimes it's wonderful, sometimes it sucks. Um, but it's funny that for the, lo- for the most part, even the bad stuff gives me a perspective, as my sponsor lovingly states, um, it's, an, it's an opportunity to learn. And I'm, I feel like I want to strangle her sometimes. Um, so I've, I've gained jobs. I've lost jobs. I've gone through good times. I've gone through rough times. I've, you know, I've had two kids in abstinence, and my kids are 25 and 18, and neither of them are compulsive overeaters. Um, they both have very normal relationships with food. I've gone through ups and downs. Um, as a matter of fact, the weirdest thing, I'm just coming out the other side of one of the weirdest experiences of my life. Um, having to do with the job. And I've always been a very career-minded person. That's just the way I am. I get a lot of, I learned that I get a lot of my sense of self through my job. You know, if the job's going well, I'm in a great mood. If the job's not going well, I'm not. Well, um... Two jobs ago, I was in the job that I thought to end, was to end all jobs. I thought, you know, I thought I had found nirvana. I was getting along great. I was very successful. And then I get laid off. And it was devastating to me. It was devastating. Um, I, and at the time, my field was going through a really bad phase. Almost everyone I knew had to leave their profession because of the fact that there were just no jobs to be had. One resume at a time, I sent out 532 resumes and finally got the job that I currently have, except I'm resigning on Monday. Um, And it was... Under normal circumstances, I wouldn't have taken that job, but it was, you know, basically my money had run out, and I needed something, and at least I could find something in my field. And I knew from the start it was a bad match, and yeah, it was. Um, And I had all sorts of job issues. I was constantly being put on the carpet for job performance. And about a month and a half ago, I took a step, with my higher power's help, I took a step back and I said, all right, God, who am I? What do I want to be doing for the rest of my life? And I thought about it and thought about it. And I completely rewrote my resume with God's help for a position. I didn't know if such a position existed. And, but I rewrote the resume for my, what I called my dream job. With the help of a very dear friend of mine in program. The day that I finished completely rewriting my resume, 
I get a call from a very dear friend, work friend of mine, who happens to be in another 12-step program in Toronto. He said, oh, by the way, Randy, just wanted to let you know I changed jobs. I'm working for this, for company XYZ. XYZ is a very well-respected company in their field, a field I happen to know very well. Um, and he said, I'm st- I've just started working for XYZ, doing the dream job that you and I have talked about for 15 years. By the way, there's an opening in L.A., and God told me that you might be interested. I just, you know, it was like, oh, my God. And, um, and I said, okay, let me send you my resume. He said, wait a minute, let me send you a job description so that you can tailor your resume. I took a look at the job description. I took a look at this resume. I did not have to change a single word. Nothing. So, I sent in the resume. I had to go through seven interviews, a lot of ups and downs, and today I signed the offer sheet. So, the thing is that that is my higher power working in my life. I became willing to listen. And believe me, the process was not as smooth as I just described it. I went through days where I'm going, all right, God, what's the answer? Please, you know, pray for the next right thing. Pray for the next right thing. All I kept hearing was, trust the process. And I'm going, but that doesn't make sense. Last time I sent out 532 resumes. Shouldn't I be sending out more resumes? Trust the process. All right. I'll trust the process. So, I figure between the last two jobs, I sent out 533 resumes. 532 and one. I, you know, and that is, for the first time in my life, I mean, I... My progression in this program is when I first came into the, the program, I, you know, it's like God parted the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff, but God had zero relevance in my life. Today, my higher power is everything in my life. And the ritualism and stuff like that is something I, you know, I don't necessarily practice. Um... But every day, what I do is um, I wake up every morning and I do my my daily reading and I write and I pray and sometimes I meditate. I'm not real good about meditating. But, and I read page 86 of the big book on awakening. Um, And then what I do is I review my night the day before using page 86 as a guide. Where was I selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do I owe amends? Um, And then I just ask for God's guidance on a daily basis. Um, And the, um, the riches that God has brought me, God has not brought me material wealth. 
believe me. Um, but the, the spiritual riches and the peace of mind and the people that God has brought into my life have been absolutely mind-boggling. I wanted to be Miss Popularity. I'm not Miss Popularity, but I have a group of friends. I have a fellowship of people that I would go to the ends of the earth for them and they would do the same for me. And those are riches that are totally beyond compare. And you know what? The riches are available to every single one of you. Um, All you need to do is just one day at a time, abstain from compulsive overeating. It's not rocket science. It's all spelled out in the books. Um, There are 12 steps, 12 traditions, 8 tools. And it's not rocket science. It's all it's all there for you, like it's there for me. All you need to do is to grab it with, as they say in the big book, grab it, grab it with the desperation of a drowning man grabbing onto a life preserver um, because it's there for every one of you. Thank you for letting me share. Okay, uh, ten minutes for questions. Leonard? Uh, hi, Randy, and thank you very, very much, and I really enjoyed your show. Randy, I'm approaching step nine, and I just wanted to ask you how you dealt with step nine uh, in your step Okay, the question is how I dealt with step nine. Um, it's really interesting because... Um, I had some difficulty with step nine, and what my sponsor told me was to do step eight first. Because when I did my fifth, when I did my fifth step, um, and I identified my character defects, and I started to identify the amends, I'm going, oh my god, I don't want to do this. And she said, let's do step eight first. And once I did that, that kind of demystified it for me. The two toughest things that I had to do with step eight is I had to take a look at my amends list and set and um, and realize that in one case there was an amend where to make that amend would be extremely injurious to that party. And I'm going... And my sponsor said, you are just going to have to live with that. And that was really tough. Um, So I I made living amends in other ways. And that was to to not be a thief. The the amends had to do with um, the one amend that I felt that I could not repay had to do with my parents. And um, it involved a fairly considerable sum of money. And after talking about it with my husband, I mean, it would have been a horrible financial impact on us. And my sponsor said, then that is, you're going to have to figure it out another way to do that. 
The other toughest amend that I had to make was to myself. Um, for First of all, for injuring my body the way I did by compulsive overeating. And secondly, by not believing in myself for, you know, all the, the self-doubt and the self-hatred and the fear that I had. And, you know, that's probably the, uh, the best things that I can say about knowing. Any other questions? Okay, the question was, how did I deal with fear in my job search? Um, a lot of prayer. A lot of just going into an interview. Sometimes I would go in the bathroom beforehand and get down on my knee. You know, God help me. That, um, that was it. Uh, God help me. God, please get me through this. Show me the next right action. Tell me what to say. And it's weird because I've never had a series of interviews go so easy in my life. Um, if I'm sending out a resume, I would sit down at the computer. All right, God, one more resume. Half an hour, you know. Put a time limit on it. Um, just break it down into chunks that I knew that I could do. Yeah? Did you, um, you talked about your relationship, and it's uh, like what it says in the big book, and Dr. Alcoholic Addicts, or whatever it's called now, about focusing on all the bad things yeah. in the mass. Um, can you just talk more about that? Because uh, it's, I have a hard time. I just had a big fight with my husband. It's bugging me. But, um, and I know it's not him. You know, I, I, I know logically. But could you just talk more about that since you've obviously been married a long time? Okay. Uh, the question was, could I talk more about my relationship with my husband? Um, a lot of it is, you're right, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about Dr. Alcoholic Addict. It's just acceptance to me, um, acceptance of Eric where he's at and that he doesn't have a program. Um, I don't know if your boyfriend is a member of the fellowship or not. Um, it's kind of funny because my husband thinks he's an expert on overeating. The truth of the matter is he does not have this disease. And he doesn't understand, and it took me a long time to accept the fact that he does not understand the disease. Um, you know, as much as we love each other, there are things I'm not going to understand about him, and he's not going to understand about me. And um, a lot of it is just letting, letting him be who he is um, and becoming less emotionally wrought up in it. Um, he's, he likes to run things. And um, sometimes I just have to say, you know, okay, fine, what, you know, whatever. Um, and um, part of that is accepting him, 
But the other part of that is accepting me as well, that um, I'm not always wrong, and we can agree to disagree about things. Uh, that's my new favorite term these days is, um, all right, can we agree to disagree? In times past, what I used to do is either I had to be completely right or I was completely wrong. And now it's just I have my opinions, which can be very strong sometimes, um, and we just agree to disagree and let's move on. Yeah. Could you talk about a little bit more about how you learn to deal with perfectionism and how you cultivate your relationship with your higher power? Okay, the question is how did I, um, to paraphrase, how did I um, learn to deal with my perfectionism and cultivated the relationship through higher power? It's kind of funny about the higher power thing because I feel like... Um, it was necessity. Uh, I'm not real good with change, and it was either cultivate it or uh, go back to compulsive overeating. And like I said, that going back to compulsive overeating, I just, I just don't want to do that. Um, the pain of compulsive overeating is just too, would be too great. Um, and sometimes I feel like my conception of my higher power is like a warm blanket. You know, something just, that just envelops me and wrap, you know, wraps around me. And my higher power is very gentle with me. And um, a lot of it is in my morning routine. Just doing, I, you know, I cultivate it by practice just by doing it every day whether I multiple times per day, whether I believe it or not. Um, and the perfectionism, sometimes I just hear my higher power saying to me, you're human. And it's okay if you make a mistake. Um, it's real frustrating. Where I have trouble with that is a lot of times when, I, um, when I'm around other perfectionists. It's real hard for me. Um, because I feel like one of the things that I've learned about myself through this program is that I'm a very competitive person. Um, and a lot of it's just experience, just doing it. Yeah? One question. You said that you, you got abstinent first. And then when you had been abstinent for a while, you felt like you were just crazy. Uh Can you describe to me, like, just describe, like, (laughs) was it just the perfectionism that you couldn't couldn't grapple with anymore? Is that what you mean? Okay. Um, The question was, I had talked about um, when I went through that really nutsy period after I had been abstinent about a year. Um, Could I describe that a little bit more? Yeah. It was like, um, you know, think of it as like a volcano. A volcano, when there's a a dome on it, you have all these pent-up emotions, and then all of a sudden it blows. And that's when the pressure is released. And that's what happened with me. Um, Because it was like, 
a volcano. I was spewing anger and fear and this and that. And um, what helped me to get through it was the advice and counsel of those who had gone before me in this program, saying that them saying that it will get better, even though sometimes I didn't necessarily believe it, I believed that they believed it. I mean, I remember sitting in meetings for literally for a year straight, every week getting a pitch, and the tears are streaming down my face, saying, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know if the promises are ever going to come true for me. And, but I kept coming back and just dealing with it. And I will say at that point, I did get some outside help. That's about it. All right, thank you.